Turn to Matthew chapter 4, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. I've got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this series for over a year, really a year and a half. And this series has really been uh, in the making in my heart for a couple of years now. But it's really been over just the last few months, the last six months that I have felt this urgency to really share with you the goal. And the goal is your spiritual maturity and mine. Spiritual maturity. To grow up every single member of Bentry Church into a mature follower of Christ. There's a lot of phrases and words for spiritual maturity. I mean, there's spiritual growth. Some see people say spiritual formation. And another one that you'll hear a lot is the process we call discipleship. That's the old word, discipleship. What does it mean? How does it work? I mean, and what's so cool is that in this series has not just been on my heart and mind, but in the hearts and minds of every single leader that I know at Bentry. I know uh, all the shepherding elders, every staff member, every pastor, every uh, ministry leader. They've all confirmed in one conversation or another just this unity around the idea, this focus, this unusual level of focus and agreement that this is where we need to go. Spiritual maturity. Our job as a church is to make disciples. Can I get a big amen on that? But here's the thing, not everyone agrees on what that means. So as I started to put this series together, here's the dilemma I faced. Uh, Do I start with how We will help people grow as a church like, that's me. I'm a guy that likes to talk about uh, how right off the bat, how to do things. But I feel like this series, God wants me to talk about the why first. Because here's what we know. If you know your why, then you can figure out your how. Or to say it in reverse, you can't really know how to do something well until you know the why of why you're doing it. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, you hurt your what? You know, this series is going to be for the Bent Tree family, like uh, our members. If you're a guest, if you're coming, we're so glad you're here. But think about making this your home. I'm glad you're here. Like this series may actually help you figure out if this is where you want to, to do life as a Christian or not. Well, I hope that's the case. I would like you to think of this process of spiritual maturity as a journey that we go on together. I'm talking about Bent Tree as a community of believers, not just individuals, but all of us together, doing life together, how we grow individual Christians into spiritual maturity, a way of doing church. Listen, listen, that is different than what we do right now. A a, a way of doing life as a believer that is different than what Bent Tree does right now. Then place what, uh, the place I want you to tell you about is D3. You've seen this all through uh, the materials on this, but write this down. Disciplers, discipling, disciples. Disciplers, discipling, disciples. Now don't worry, it doesn't have to make sense yet. It doesn't have to make sense yet. But it will. It will make sense, and maybe to some of you it already does, but this series is going to cover the why first, and then we'll get to the how, 
and when we'll do it. Does that make sense? This is important that we start here. Disciplers, discipling disciples, D3 for short, is this destination of where we're going. It is a new place of doing ministry of how, but first let's go at why. Let's do that today. Here's the deal. This process, this journey is a journey isn't going to be very quick. It's going to be slow. The change is going to be gradual in effect. But make no mistake, it will change the way you do church. Every person. And in some cases, a great change uh, or a great deal of change. And here's the thing with change. It's never easy. Individually or as a group organizationally or personally, just like a teenager growing into an adult, you don't know what you don't know. The good thing is with a teenager, there are adults that help you walk along, right? To say, this is what you can expect. And that's the same with us. There are other mature Christians that can walk along. The same is true for a church family maturing into adulthood. Bent tree is turning 10 years old this year for a church plant that doesn't happen very often. They say one out of, check this out, 50, one out of 50 survives to year three or five. For us turning 10, the, the odds are much better now for us to survive 100, to 100, believe it or not. It's how we mature. We are in a place right now that every uh, broad group of wise people in the leadership of this church family thinks we need to make discipleship the focus of where we grow next. A conscious decision uh, to change the way we actually do things. But why? That's where we're going. Maturity as a group. That's the journey that we are going to take this year. And we are going to start off with the why behind it so that we're all on the same page. Make sense? And it's also this journey that we will be implementing the change of how we will grow into maturity. This affects all of us. One more thing before we get started. When I say change is not an easy thing, everybody kind of goes, oh, yeah, you kind of nod your head in agreement, but it's when change actually begins that sometimes people's frustration starts to rise. You know, people look at it and go, that's not the way we did it before. And I'm saying, what I'm telling you is things are going to change. That's where people get worried or, or upset or even kind of freak out, Right? I'll talk about this more in the series, but here's what I want you to know, and here's what I want you to do. Pray for our church. Pray for our church. Pray for our leaders as they listen to the Holy Spirit and lead us. Then, here's the thing. Listen to the leaders. Listen carefully and go, how do I fit in there? Trust what the leadership of the church is saying, where they're leading us. Trust your shepherding elder, your pastors, your staff. I'm asking you to trust the leadership of the church. Check this out, even when you disagree. When you are pretty sure that idea is not going to work. Just like always, have lots of grace. It takes a lot of grace to be a part of a church family. Amen? Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> and hear me, I'm not saying that the leadership of this church does not want to hear from you. No, I'm saying quite the opposite. In fact, your uh, shepherding elders, your staff, your, your pastors, uh, they want to hear from you. Uh, we want your feedback. And at the end of the day, we want to be a family that journeys together, that is in agreement, that is in unity. 
Now, let me hear a big version of this. Amen? Amen. That's huge. So let's, just, let's get this D3 train on the tracks and rolling. Um, but first, would you pray with me as we seek God together? Bow your heads. God, our Heavenly Father, we just, we seek you today. We are starting out this journey. God, would you be at the center of this? Lord, I, I love these people and this church so much. I love how we do church, but God, thank you for 10 years and the maturity that you have brought about in so many lives and in, in all of us. You've done that through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but God, I and, and the other leaders of this church just sense that you were calling us deeper to grow into all that you would have us grow into. Heavenly Father, use your words of Scripture to draw us deeper. You have shown us the, the where here, Loveland, Colorado, that we need to become a discipling church to grow people into spiritual maturity. Would you show us the why today? And then God, throughout this year, would you show us the when and the how how we can all be in this group of a growing family. Father, I pray for unity in how we grow, Lord. Protect us, for, keep us far away from naysayers, from gossip. Keep us far from the enemy, but help us to be flexible to what we hear your Spirit leading to do in this church. It is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We all prayed and said, amen. amen. All right, everybody get your notes out. Get your coffee out, because that's an integral part to notes, amen? And we've got, we've got our Bibles out. Let's begin where Jesus began his earthly ministry. Jesus had just been tempted by Satan. That's where we're going to pick it up. At the end of 40 days of fast, not eating, not drinking, in the desert, he's withstood this, this test from Satan. He is 30 years old. And Matthew tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Look what he preached. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This had been the message of God throughout the Old Testament, right? Repent. Turn from your sins. Literally, repent means if I'm following sins, and sins are that way, turn the other way. Go the other way. And this had been the message of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, that it said, repent. And people were repenting. And he says, this is huge. Uh, John would say, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is what Jesus is saying. I want you to notice something here. When Jesus says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, it can seem like what he is saying is that the time is short. And certainly we saw that in Revelation over and over, that the time is short. Jesus is coming soon. But that's not what he's really saying here. He's saying the kingdom of God has come near. This is what it's saying. The verse 18, the narrative switches. Switch with me to verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. You see what's happening. Jesus, God, the real God, has come in flesh, and he is walking down the beach. The kingdom has come near to them. You see how this works? 
Jesus apparently had come across these two brothers before, Peter and Andrew. Uh, Andrew had begun to follow John the Baptist as one of his disciples, possibly Peter too. We're not told that, we're just told of Andrew. But we know that Andrew was following them, uh, following John the Baptist. But now they had apparently gone back to fishing. Why? To earn a living. To put food on the table. To put shelter over their head. They had seen Jesus before. Watch what Jesus says to them in verse 19. They know who Jesus is now. They've probably listened to him preach this message of repent. Here he says, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. I love this verse. I love this verse. Notice, Jesus does not ask them a question. It's not a question. He just says, follow me, follow me. Well, that's not all that he says, though. He says, I will make you fish for people. It's a fishing analogy. Instead of fishing for fish, you will fish for people. Now think of that just for a moment. Think of what it means to fish this analogy. In, in a way, Jesus is saying, your new life of following me is one of casting nets of the gospel into the seas of humanity and catching these people. Think through that with me. You fish people. You like that. You like to fish. You fishermen, you like to fish with the pole, with the hook on it, right? With the lures. That's not what it's talking about. Some of you are like, oh, that's not what this is. This is big production fishing, right? Here's how they would do it is they had these nets and the nets obviously can let little things through like water, like little fish, but the holes in the net are small enough so to catch the bigger fish. And so what they would do is the net was usually round and there was a rope around the edge kind of weaved through the net. Are you with me? Then all around the edges of the net were weights, weighted material, pieces of metal, rocks that they could put on there that are tied in there. So what the fishermen had to do is they had big, strong arms. They would, two or three of them, would do it one, two, three, and then they would throw it, but not just throw it out. They would throw it with the spinning action. So centrifugal force would send those rocks out like this, and the net would go flat and then hit the water. Make sense? And then the net would sink down. And whatever other fish are under that net, then they would pull that rope and the net would close around them. You got this picture? That's the picture of Jesus he is using here. He wants them to see that the gospel is going to be the net. They don't know that yet. They don't know it yet. All they know is they're going to fish for people. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a way to fish for people, and I'm going to give you a net. I'm going to give you this way. The disciples don't know how, they just know that they will. They're just going to learn the why behind them. He's telling them what they will be doing, but not the how. That will come, but he is just calling them. So look at verse 20. He's just said, come follow me. He says in verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Oh, don't you just love this verse? They followed him. This is a family business. This is their trade. This is the way they uh, make money for food, for clothing, for shelter. And make sure you get what's happening right now. 
Make sure that you understand. Andrew and Peter are leaving behind the security of what puts money in their wallet. They're leaving that behind and they know that they're going to follow Jesus even though they don't understand all the details of how they will live. They just don't understand that, but they have the faith to follow. Now, what have they done here? Well, they have placed their faith in Jesus that He will lead them, that He will take care of them. They have decided that Jesus can lead them and take care of them. But another way to say it is this. They have become a follower of Jesus. They have become a disciple of Jesus. They have switched their allegiance to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. The word disciple has a couple of different meanings here. Let's take a look at it. The first meaning is here. Write this down. A disciple is a person who trusts Jesus for their salvation. This is the justification we, we t always talk about here. The calling of Jesus. He saves people. He wakes them up from spiritual death. He calls them to life, right? He saves them. The word disciple in the New Testament doesn't mean like a professional Christian or one that's really grown up. It just means a Christian. A disciple means a Christian. In fact, Acts eleven twenty six actually says that the, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. By the way, that was meant as a slam back then. They called him little Jesus, little Christ. So they said, what, are you a, a Christian, a little Christ? And they go, well, come to think of it, yeah, we are, right? They took that name up. You know, it's not just about our salvation, though. It is about our being remade into the image of Jesus. When we are saved, we all receive the Holy Spirit of God. We do. The third member of the Trinity, we are being reconstructed into the image of Jesus Christ Himself. We call that process sanctification. That being remade new, given a new mind, a new heart. In a very real way, we could say this. A disciple is a person who follows the commands of Jesus. He follows the commands of Jesus. For a Christian... Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. Say big amen. amen. That's huge. Now, here's what you need to know about first century Jewish life that you may not understand. Every child, I mean every child, boy and girl, would be brought up when they were very little with this religious education in their local synagogue by their rabbi. That was their schooling. But when little girls grew up, uh, started to grow a little bit, then they stayed home with mom to learn how to take care of the house. But early on, in a little boy's life, the rabbi, which, uh, which simply means teacher, right? He would separate the leading little boys from just the average little boys. He would, he would separate the smart boys from the ones that were, let's just say, not so smart. And the smart boys would get further education. And if they were on the Levite clan, they could even become a priest and serve in the temple in Jerusalem and then even become chief priest. But it all started with their local rabbi. And all the other little boys who did not make the cut, they went to go to work for daddy or an uncle in the family business. Are you with me? 
It's only the, the smartest, the sharpest boys. But for the boys that did make the cut, they would go do life with their local rabbi. They would follow the rabbi literally, physically. He would teach them as he did life with them. They would follow behind their rabbi. As he walked, he would teach them the word of God. Literally, he would say a line from the Pentateuch and they would repeat it. He would help them memorize. He would help them learn all of the scripture by heart. And then he would teach them theology, the doctrine. He was saying back then, may, there was a saying back then that said, May the dust of your rabbi fall heavy upon you. And meaning the boys being trained would walk so close behind their uh, rabbi, the literal dust from their sandals being kicked up would fall on them. They would be dusty. The students would be dusty with that rabbi's uh, dust they kicked up. Do you get this picture? The dust is like the rabbi's teaching. It's this analogy. You follow close and make sure you did everything. And the dust was this physical sign that you were following. If you were dusty, they knew you were following close behind. Eventually, all these boys, as they reached adulthood, they would become a rabbi or a teacher, or a teacher of the law, or if they were a Levite, even a priest. And they would begin to, look, check this out, disciple other little boys and teach people, the men and women who were under their care. When Jesus calls them, Andrew and Peter, they were probably in their 20s. They had not made the cut to be uh, the priest or, or rabbis and the teachers of the law. They were, they were married and that ship had sailed. They were, they were well into their career as fishermen. Back to chapter 4 verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. We call them the sons of thunder by the way. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I always wondered, what did Zebedee think? I actually think he was pretty proud. Because a rabbi, one that everyone knows that's famous, is finally calling my sons. They had missed it before. Now, I, I found this very interesting here that, that 12 that Jesus calls are all guys that had been rejected by the Jewish leaders they were not considered up to the task. They were not considered smart enough. They were not considered gifted enough to serve God. Jesus says, no, I'll take these two and those two. And everyone's like going, are you sure these are fishermen? These are low life. Now, why is that so important to understand? Because if you're seeing the picture here of this, you're seeing a picture of your calling, right? Right? If you were a Christian, Jesus called you from death to life. But if you're like me, most Christians say back to Jesus, but I'm not really good enough. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm, I'm not gifted enough. And Jesus goes, I know that. He says, don't worry, I'll make you into the person I want you to be. I want you to hear that today. So you don't have to be gifted. You don't have to have anything. Uh, you see, it's not up to you and me. We simply have to respond in faith to the call of Jesus. But Jesus will teach us and equip us to follow Him. Oh, I want you to understand this. So Jesus calls two more brothers. Now there's four. 
Four fishermen. They're all following the rabbi. Watch what happens in verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Everybody's following. Now, thousands of people are following this one man and his, his disciples that are helping him. Do you see what's happening here? I love this picture. Jesus is teaching all the big crowds, but what is he really doing? He is teaching his disciples to imitate him. They are literally going from one town to the other. They are following him. They are literally doing life together, traveling together, camping around the campfire together. They are learning. And what are they learning? They are learning to do what Jesus does and they will do in the future when Jesus is gone. They are all leaning, um, leaning, learning towards being Jesus. They're, they're saying, I want to be like Jesus. Now here's the thing. The word discipleship is not in the Bible. It's just not. It's a word that's kind of been coined from disciple. It has lots of uses. It's based on the word disciple, the noun disciple. But you can say the noun disciple is a disciple, but it can also be a verb to disciple someone. But then you can say doing that discipleship, meaning to teach. Here's what I want you to understand as we begin this series. Discipleship or discipling someone is not a second stage Christian. To become a disciple means that you become a Christian. Jesus saves you and then you start to follow Jesus as your boss, as your Lord. All of that is discipleship. But then let's take a look at the other marching orders from Jesus. If we are his disciples, if we truly are following, what, like what are we supposed to do? That's what we're talking about. Let's jump to Matthew chapter 28. Switch to Matthew chapter 28. Here's the setting. Jesus has been crucified, killed on a Roman cross, laid in a tomb, raised to life on the third day. Jesus appears to all his disciples and his followers for 40 days. He eats with them. He teaches them. He does life with them. And he prepares him for a time that he says, I'm going to go away, but I will send another, the Holy Spirit. But then I'll return again soon and take you to be with me. Meanwhile, what does Jesus do? Look at verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. You got it. Jesus has been given all authority. By whom? God the Father. All authority on heaven and earth. Let me just check. How much authority does Jesus have in heaven and on earth? All of it. He is fully God. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So if that's the case, then look what Jesus does with the authority to those who follow them. He says, I've got all authority. This is what I want you to understand. Verse 19. He says, go therefore. 
You're going to tell us to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now we'll take this apart as we go through this series. As we go forward in this series, how do we go? But understand that a lot of people don't get this as Christians. We just ignore this. We don't here at Bentry. A lot of people have tried to separate out the words make disciples as just getting people saved. Share the story of the gospel, but that's not what that means. We say Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, amen? And yes, that's what it's all about, but not totally. What else are we supposed to do with believers? How are we supposed to make disciples? Well, it tells us we baptize them in the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. By the way, check this out. Here's a little ad. Write this down. Next baptism, February 9th. How is that for a vision drop? Right there. Because here's the thing. If you have become a Christian, like you go, I trust the grace of Jesus through faith to save me, to wash my sins away, and I take the righteousness of Jesus. And, and you, Jesus says, the first thing you do then is be baptized. And you go, what is baptism? What is baptism? It is that picture of you showing the world, I identify with Jesus. So if you are a Christian, a believer, and you have not been baptized, like, what are you waiting for? Like, stand with us. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, say yes right now. So then why haven't you been baptized? So that's what we want to do. So this is where you sign up, bentreechurch.com, baptism, or on that little card. Slip it into one of the giving boxes. There's one around the back wall right there. There's one just out the accordion doors when you leave, a big one standing there. Slip that in. If you're a, a, a child, I want to make sure one of the shepherding elders meets with you. Uh, before you do that, but we don't have to. If you're an adult, if you love Jesus and I want you want to be baptized, you can do that. So, all right, commercial over. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. How would they know that? Because they had walked behind their rabbi. They had the dust fall on them of Jesus' sandals. The word observe means to teach them to obey, to live out the words of Jesus. There's a specific way you live your everyday lives as a believer that non-believers simply just don't do. Following the commands of Jesus. Grab onto, grab onto this. Making disciples means we share the gospel and teach them everything Jesus taught us. Oh, we call sharing the gospel message with the world evangelism. But in evangelism, discipleship does not end with the conversion of the unbeliever. Listen close. Conversion is where discipleship begins. That's where our job as a church begins. A long journey together of doing life until Jesus takes us home. 
This process is never completed on earth. It's even in the name of the series D3, right? Disciplers, discipling disciples. The name tells us what we need to do. Now maybe you're not the most mature Christian. But as you grow, you can help others along the path. They're growing in their faith. You walk with them. Help teach them. Do life with them. That can and does mean teaching and sharing. But that's not the only meaning. Making disciples means we are, on, we are an example of how a Christian does life. Oh, please hear me. That happens in big groups like this one like preaching and teaching. But it's all but it also is in small groups and in that one-on-one relationship that people see how she does life and he does life cuz they can see. Like you can look up here at me and you can go, "Hey Paul, I want to be like Paul." And I go, "Hey, listen, I want you to follow Jesus and I'm going to do the best I can at following Jesus." Yes, copy what I do. And I've got some dear close friends here. But you can't all know me at a deep level. Why? Simply not enough time in the day, time in the week. I try to hang out with tons of people, but I want you to see that a church is more than just one guy following Jesus. That's never what it was spent, uh, supposed to do. As you face the ups and downs of life, the hurts and the suffering, the joys, the celebrations, the fun times, the sad times, watching a Christian friend walk through that stuff can teach us how to really follow Jesus. That's why we do life together. D3. Disciplers, discipling, disciples. We know works because once a disciple begins to start discipling others in their sphere of influence, when people, they disciple, then start to disciple others in their sphere of influence, their life changes. It becomes this system, this life-giving system. This is how the church has grown for two millennia. People leading others to a deeper understanding and relationship with Jesus. To fully understand who Christ is in their life and that bears out in the way we live our lives. Men leading other men into a deeper relationship with Christ. Women leading other women into a deeper relationship with Christ Jesus. It's dads and moms leading their little ones every night. It's leading preteens and in high schoolers, teenagers. And to be honest with you, for a parent, that never stops. It never stops. When your kids do grow up in that kind of discipling relationship, when parents and kids start to disciple their parents too. I love that. To me, with my children, they pour Jesus back into me. Not always. But they pour Jesus back into me. And I've learned so much from my kids. Well, we could say a ton more here. We could. But I just ask you that you sign on for all four weeks of this series. Because it's going to be important. This is going to affect the way our church operates. Because we're going to cover a ton. And I want you to be in the know. So please, please, please make church attendance a priority. Listen to this again online. Share it with other Bent Tree members. But let me close with just a few thoughts. 
I've been asked by some young pastors like Christ Church that I just talked about, what are some things that I would do differently 10 years later? What would I tell me uh, as I started out? If I knew everything, and I've been a pastor for a while, and not just here, I've been a senior pastor of this church for 10 years, but I was a senior staff member of a mega church for many years before that. Back when we started the church, I was Mr. Systems guy. <laughs> I knew how to make a mega church mega -er. Does that make sense? I knew how to grow a giant church, even gianter. <laughs> yes, I know the right words. So I had this idea, if I could just take these systems and take them down to a little church level, then we could grow big. My thought was to just build the right systems and the people will grow. They'll grow themselves. I would have argued uh, that if the word of God is preached to people, uh, their heart will change. Preach what the word of God uh, says and then let the systems grow them up. Does that make sense? They'll grow into maturity. Systems are good and we need good systems of ministry. Communication, decision. Uh, we got the best, I think, executive pastor and staff. They're doing an amazing job. But listen to me. It does not matter how good the system is. It does not matter how good the preaching is, how good the youth, how good the, the children's or uh, small groups is. Unless each person is known and cared for and carefully discipled. That's what I would tell me. Here's what I, I know now. It's harder than it looks because life is just messy. It's complicated. Relationships take hard work. Relationships take a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. But By the way, this is one of the reasons church membership hops from church to church. I call that steeplechasing. Isn't that clever? <laughs> Because people doing life together is not easy, especially at a church. The real problem with church today is not that people just want to hide. They, it's that they want to hide and not be known and they not engage. They just, they don't want to be discipled that way. Now, none of those systems I mentioned are bad things. Man, they're good in fact. They're good, and we have great systems here, but what I missed early on as a church planter, and even more so as an executive pastor in a large church, is each person, listen to me, each person is a gift of God. The beautiful people, the ugly people, the big and the very small, the babies, the very smart and those that are not so smart, the very rich and the very poor. Each one is a gift from God to us. We don't want to lose any of them. Now, each person has the responsibility to grow themselves too. What I'm saying is that church is not supposed to be a professional set of Christians that put on a service once a week and then you grow for all the non-professional Christians. Listen to me. There are no professional Christians. We're all saved by the grace of Jesus. 
We all need a relationship with Jesus. We are all part of the family called to the church, one body of Christ. And it is Jesus working in me to help you. And it is Jesus working in you to help me and to help each other. All that God has designed us to be can be there if we disciple each other. It's my brother helping hold me accountable, listen, to stay clear of temptation he knows I struggle with. Going, how you doing with that one? Coming around and putting his arm around me, asking me, how you doing? It's a sister in Christ with older children helping a new mom to raise her children. Hey, here's some of the problems that I faced at that area. And just sit, sitting and being a listening ear. It's a brother hearing another brother yelling at his kids. Going, hey man, there's a, there's a better way to raise your kids. Let me tell you. And there being enough friendship and brotherhood to listen. It's opening the Bible together on Sunday mornings, yes. And good preaching, yes. But it's also sitting together one-on-one -on -one at Starbucks over a coffee and saying, what do you think 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is actually meaning for the church? Deep Bible study, one-on-one -on -one and in small groups. It's that small one-on-one -on -one discipleship and it's small groups of discipleship groups of believers doing life together where old and wrong, listen to me, old and wrong notions of how to be a Christian are slowly unlearned. And following Jesus the right way begins to emerge. Spiritual maturity begins to take shape. And here's the thing, when individuals start to change, the body starts to change. When the body of Christ starts to mature, communities start to change. <laughs> Crazy, cool things start to happen, like marriages that had no way of lasting become strong and life-giving. Addictions begin to be broken the poor fed, the naked clothed, the lost begin to be saved because you love Jesus more and we as a church love Jesus more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as we begin this new series, help drive that why home. Why we do what we do. You have called us, Jesus. And we want to be faithful. I, I mean, we, Bentree Church, those in the room and those listening to me online, God, I, I pray that you would uh, help us to remember the why behind our calling. That you have called us to go into all the world and across the street and even into our homes to make disciples. God, show us what that means as a church. Hmm. As you can continue to pray with your head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to share something with you as you continue with an attitude of prayer. Each year since we've started, we've had kind of a, a theme verse and a theme uh, prayer. This year is going to be different. We're doing D3. This is going to be the focus throughout our year of turning 10 because we're not going to do church the same way. 
And like I said, change is hard. It's not easy. <laughs> I laugh, though, because just a few years ago, we prayed a prayer, and you'll remember this. We prayed for unity. We prayed for unity. And right after that, it felt like some of the wheels were starting to come off where there are some people that go, I, I don't want a church like that. But then God brought other people in. And for really the first time in our 10-year history, this last year and a half, we've seen this tremendous unity that comes. And what's funny is when you pray a prayer, you don't always see how God's going to answer it, do you? And praise God, because we'd run in fear. God has brought unity around this vision of growing people up and including ourselves. I want to grow up into maturity. I want to grow up, listen close, I want to grow up into everything that God designed me to be. Here's my question to you. If you want to grow up into everything God designed you to be, would you just say amen? God, my prayer is that as we kick this series off, that you would give us this unity and vision, show us the how and the details, but God, reveal to us, continue the why behind what we're doing. And Jesus, we pray your prayer that you would come soon and take us home and find us in full maturity of following you and leading those around us into full maturity. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.